Hey, before we get started, did you know that you can get continuing education for this podcast? Just head over to academy.flightcrit.com to find out more information. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to this episode of the Flight Crit Podcast, your place for pre-hospital emergency and critical care transport education. In today's episode of the podcast, Hunter is going over the basic steps to interpret a chest x-ray. And while there's a lot of great information you can glean from the audio portion of this podcast, I highly recommend you check out the video that goes along with it over at academy.flightcrit.com, where you can join for free and preview this video in its entirety. So with that, I want to invite you to kick back, relax, and enjoy this podcast on the basics of chest x-ray interpretation. This is Hunter. Uh, I'm going to be doing the presentation on the basic chest x-ray interpretation today. Um, I hope you guys like it. We'll get this posted up so everyone can check it out. So we'll go ahead and start this out. So again, this is a basic chest x-ray interpretation. Um, I don't consider myself an expert on this by any means. Um, I do enjoy looking at chest x-rays. Um, sometimes in the pre-hospital environment, um, it's good to have a little bit of a background um, if you're ever asked to look at one or if you're trying to confirm a chest tube or trying to diagnose a pneumo. Uh, but by no means is this a diagnose uh, presentation, just the um, way to assess the image and just kind of a way to go down your different steps when looking at chest x-rays. Again, not an expert, just uh, enjoy enjoy doing them. Um, so uh, let's get started. So the first thing I kind of want to talk about is when you look at the chest x-ray, the different densities correspond to the color that you're going to see. Um, so the more dense the object, I guess you could say, the lighter it's going to be. So metal and stuff like that is going to appear white. Um, and then down from there, we're going to have our bone, which is kind of that uh, white you can see on the image on the left, um, and then we're going to have blood and air. Um, so any kind of that fluid, you can kind of see the vasculature there coming off the heart uh, being fluid full, so it's kind of that offset gray. And then <clears throat> your more dense things being um, uh, w more white. So uh, a big thing I like to, or I've noticed, is when you look at the differences in the density and how close they are, there's little lines usually in between them. And sometimes that's all you're going to get to be able to see an image. So if you have something that's a little bit more dense versus something that's not as dense, sometimes that little line could be the outside of a lung or it could be something else. So sometimes it's that difference in densities that makes it a little bit easier to see the image you're looking for. Um, how I kind of imagine it when we look at densities and how the colors correlate is I imagine you have a black paintball and if you throw it at someone and it goes through them, that means it went through air. So when it hits your white canvas or the x-ray board, it'll appear black, right? Black is our air because it goes right through the person. Um, if you throw something at the person and it hits metal or hits bone, it's going to reflect off. So that board's going to remain white. It did not go through at all. Now, if a little bit of it goes through and it hits some of that color, it'll kind of be that gray. So that's kind of your fluid or your sub-Q, your fat, stuff like that. Um, I can't make these balls white on here because obviously the PowerPoint's uh, black, but just imagine. So if you throw one through, it goes through the person and then gets on your canvas and turns black. One directs off. We'll run that one again. So you throw it, 
bounces off because it hits bone or metal or whatever it might be so that canvas stays white and then if something goes through not all the way but it tries to reach through kind of turns that offset gray so that would be our fluid and stuff so kind of just to quiz yourself um uh, remember air in the chest cavity will appear black so the color here on the screen and then blood will kind of be that offset gray um, color that you're seeing here um, so that's going to be your blood and your fluid. So I kind of think about chest x-rays a, a little bit like EKGs and the fact that they're an art. I think that with chest x-rays, you have to look at them um, and understand what's normal. And the more and more you look at normal chest x-rays and you just understand them, then when you see something that's abnormal, It'll cue you to look. I, I think the same thing with EKGs. You have to look at a normal EKG over and over and over and over again. So then when you see something that's abnormal, it's easy for you to cue that in in your mind. So with chest x-rays, again, I think a, a big thing just like EKGs, you have to look at them all the time. You have to study them a lot. Um, it's a whole thing. But I think the more and more you look at a normal one, you start to understand it. Then when you see something that's not normal, uh, it makes it a little bit easier. So just starting, um, when you look at your chest x-ray, you want to make sure the image itself and you do your own assessment that it's a um, it's a good image. So we're going to talk about some things as far as like penetration goes, good inspiration, um, and so on and so forth. So first and foremost, when you look at the chest x-ray, remember that the patient is flipped, essentially. So their left side is going to be on your right, and their right side is going to be on your left. The other thing I always uh, I would always recommend is making sure the patient info is correct. Um, just like before we give a med, we always assure the right info. Um, the x-ray itself should have some patient info. Always make sure you have the right patient. Um, so one of the first things that, um, again, this is all personal opinion, but one of the first things I kind of look for is to make sure the patient is aligned. Um, I've kind of learned that a good way to do that is if you look at the spinous processes coming down the spine here, they should be about uh, center or, or in the same distance from the medial aspects of those clavicular bodies that we're seeing here. So if I circle those processes for you, you can see them come down very well and they're equal distant between those medial clavicular heads there. Okay, so it, it's better... I. I've heard to use bone than the trachea because the trachea is cartilage, right? So it can move a lot easier. But bone is not as movable as that cartilage is. So if you look at this, you're using the spinous process, not the airway, because the trachea might be moved. But if your spinous process is normal, that patient's not rotated one way or the other. If the trachea is moved and the spinous processes are off, they're not in, a, in that uh, equal distance between your two clavicles, then you know that patient might be rotated. The reason it's good to know if that patient's rotated, and we'll talk about here, is that if the patient's rotated one way or the other, the x-ray is going to hit them on the right, on the left, one way or the other, a little bit more. So what that does, it overexposes one side of the lung over the other, underexposes the other lung, and then as far as your um, cardiac goes, as far as the heart goes, it might appear larger, it might appear smaller because the way it's hitting. If it's coming on from the left and the patient's a little bit towards their left, and they hit here, that heart may appear larger versus smaller coming over here. So we'll kind of show that. So if they're kind of rotated towards their right, and the heart's sitting here kind of on that left side, then when that 
when those x-rays come through, the heart's going to look more enlarged and that left side's going to be more exposed. And then over here on the right is going to be less exposed and the heart may appear smaller. Same if they're rotated towards their left. So now if they're this way, the heart's now in the background. So the heart may appear a little bit smaller than it should. And then this right side is more exposed than the, than the left side is. So when, I guess, again, this is just this assessing the quality of your image. So we, it helps when the patient takes a deep breath and we take that picture during an inspiration. The reason for that is because when the diaphragm, during inspiration, when the diaphragm pushes down, it opens up that thoracic cavity very well and it, it, it gets all the air into the cavity. That way you can see a lot more. If you imagine if the diaphragm, if it, if it goes up during expiration, it pushes on all that vasculature, right? So you might misdiagnose a fluffy chest x-ray. It might look kind of fluffy because it's all compressed, but when you have a nice inspiration, you open all that up, you expand all that, you get this nice picture and all that vasculature is kind of opened up a little bit more. That heart looks a lot nicer because it's less compressed. So that that good inspiration helps. And it also helps diagnosing those pneumos as well. So um, a thing that is done is looking at the posterior ribs and you kind of want to see nine and 10. So when you're looking at this and we'll, we'll talk about counting ribs, but when you're looking at this, obviously you can see that I have nine and 10 in my image. So I know that's a good inspiration. Um, you can also count the anterior ribs as well. And so many of those um, is going to be helpful as well. Uh, but if you ever compare um, an expiration versus an inspiration on the same patient, you can kind of see that that expiration kind of compresses everything. So it looks a little bit more congested in there than a nice inspiration. Uh, when we talk about penetration, we want to kind of see that the vertebral bodies here, which we can see, we relatively want to see them uh, behind that um, cardiac shadow. We want to be able to see them in there. Now, we don't want to see them perfectly, but we should be able to kind of see that nice vertebrae coming down. Um, Overpenetrated and underpenetrated images, if you ever look it up, you'll see what I'm saying. Sometimes they kind of look really bright or they look really dark. Um, but this is very helpful being able to see that um, vertebral body just a little bit there. Next here is the ABCDEF of the chest x-ray. So this is now how you go through chronological, chronological order when looking at the image. So just like EKGs and other things you might look at, um, everyone kind of has their own methods going through the EKG, trying to decipher and diagnose the patient. For chest x-rays, there's a lot of different methods. I use the ABCDEF, but there is other methods. You can go look at whatever one you like. Why I like the ABCDEF is because a lot of times lung fields are where we're looking the most, uh, whether that's a pneumo or hemo or something going on in the lung field. And I think we tend to run to the lung fields and then we don't go back through our assessment. Now, by any means, and again, this is all personal opinion, um, I think that if you're having a patient that looks like they have a pneumothorax, a tension pneumothorax, and you get a chest x-ray, you can go ahead and skip right down to the lung fields, assess it, take care of that, that pneumothorax, and then go back through your ABCDF. This is just a good way to keep you 
organized when going through the chest x-ray. So we'll go through this um, on the next slides. But A will be your airway. So we'll look at our trachea, our right and left main bronchus. We'll look at our bones for B. So we'll look at ribs. We'll look at clavicles. C will be cardiac. So you can look at the cardiac silhouette. Um, D will be for our diaphragm. Uh, looking at the two diaphragms and those nice claustrophobic angles. E is everything else. So we're going to look at a lot of times in the hospital, is there wires? Has this patient had surgery? Is there lines we're looking to be placed? Stuff like that. And then F will be our lung fields um, that we'll kind of save for the last. Oops, sorry. Okay. So starting with airway, um, looking at the trachea here. Again, the trachea is, once you kind of notice the difference in densities, you'll kind of see that dark area coming down right on top of those spinous processes. Um, that's kind of what we're looking for for our trachea. Um, and you really have to see when it gets down over that cardiothoracic, or sorry, over the cardiac silhouette, you really have to look at the shadowing and that difference in densities to really make it out. Um, so always trying to find that, making sure your patient's midline first before seeing if the trachea deviates one way or the other. So for our bones B, we're going to look at our clavicles. But so those are usually pretty nice and easy to find. And then we can go through our ribs. So the posterior ribs, the ones that appear more horizontal on the image, um, are just a lot easier to find than the uh, anterior ribs. The posterior ribs, the first one, you can actually see both the posterior and anterior aspect. It's this kind of nice, I said there's a little like owls up there. It's a nice uh, ring up there. And then counting down from there. So two will kind of overlay it. Then we have three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And then lastly, you can see 10 there at the bottom. So counting those ribs, but you're going here. So if you have a trauma patient, you're assessing for rib fractures. You're looking for clavicle fractures um, and so on and so forth. You can also, uh, on the left side, we can do the anterior ribs. And those kind of come in like little half pipes. So we got one, two, and three there. Uh, so your posterior and anterior ribs following them through, looking for fractures or anything like that abnormal. Um, and then your clavicle is looking for any fractures up there. So C is for the cardiac silhouette. Um, it's pretty, I think, always kind of nice to see the heart. It's pretty obvious. It looks nice there. Um, cardiomegaly, I think, has to take up more than 50% of that whole thoracic uh, window there. Um, so if I, I, I'll kind of put over the shadow, kind of make it a little bit easier. So we start out with our aortic arch. And we have our left pulmonary artery. We're going to have our left atrium. And we have our nice big left ventricle. We're going to have our right atrium, our right pulmonary artery, and then our right, or sorry, our ascending aorta. Um, so if you see those pulmonary arteries, um, you kind of see if there's congestion there and stuff like that, uh, if you think it's within the lungs, and then follow those out as well. And then this is just a animation for people that are watching to kind of see how the heart is moving in that chest x-ray. It's pretty cool. So D is for our diaphragm. So when you look at the diaphragms, <clears throat> um, the left, excuse me, the right hemidiaphragm is always slightly elevated, and that's due to the liver being directly under it usually. Um, so this is a pretty normal chest x-ray. That right hemidiaphragm is always a little bit elevated compared to the left. Now, if both the diaphragms are equal, like if they're both flat and they both are same height, now that always should kind of trigger you a little bit to something taking up space and pushing that other diaphragm down if it's the one on the right. 
or if that one on the left is a lot lower than you're used to seeing. Again, you have to look at a lot of normal chest x-rays and be like, oh, that one, that diaphragm looks a bit lower than normal. So it could be uh, air taking it up or blood or fluid or something like that. The other thing uh, with chronic COPD is if they're chronic retainers and we have a lot of air, sometimes you kind of have that flattened diaphragm look a little bit more because they've just chronically had so much air in there. So I don't know if you guys can see my hands as well. Chronically so much air in there. But again, this is that normal um, image we're looking for. And it should cue you in if they're the same height or if they're uh, one looks a lot lower than normal or something like that. If it looks a lot higher, if you think you have diaphragm rupture, stuff like that. So I'll line them here. It's your diaphragms. And then where that diaphragm kind of meets the plural is our costophrenic angle. So those costophrenic angles are nice, sharp triangles in there that we always look for. Or again, on a normal chest x-ray, we're looking for it. If they're not there, if you have blunting or obliteration of them, you cannot see them. That could be a, a lot of things. That could be emphysema, excuse me, atelectasis, um, something where there's fluid-filled pockets maybe um, in that area. Not pockets, but fluid in that area that is masking or you can't see that image as well. That should cue you in again that something's going on if you don't have your costophrenic angles anymore. Um, on the next slide, we'll look at the left side of the diaphragm. You should always try and, um, sometimes there'll be a nice gastric bubble in there. So if you're placing an NGOG, you want that to ride down over that left diaphragm, below the diaphragm, and hopefully into the stomach. Um, again, that circle is a little bit hard to see, a bunch of arrows and stuff, but it's that difference in density that I keep talking about that's really the subtle differences is how you're going to see those things. Um, yeah. Ease for everything else. Um, so two images here. The one on the left would be a normal chest x-ray that, um, if they're in the hospital, they're not hooked up to everything. Um, on the right would be kind of more of what people watching that are in the hospital will be used to. There's a lot of wires, a lot of things going on. So it's just good to remember, is your patient wearing a necklace? Can that be interfering? Do they have piercings? Do they have metal? Do they have pacemakers? Um, have they had heart surgery done? Those things can kind of skew your image, but they usually will appear white um, depending on what it is. So you have to kind of decipher, is this pathologic or is this something um, to do with the patient? So I kind of just add, you know, you might have central lines, um, which is kind of like a subclavian kind of central line or something like that. Here you could have NGOG tubes, you could have pads on this patient. So you can see how these images can just have a lot of stuff all of a sudden. And I give credit to the physicians and radiologists that can really decipher and uh, still see the pathological things going on with all the clutter happening. So kind of moving forward, um, I kind of want to talk about the airway assessment. So a lot of times, you know, we're using chest x-rays in the hospital for ET tube um, verification placement. So if you look at the nice aortic arch kind of coming off, it's that nice big knob. If you kind of follow it and then come to its base and come over, that sometimes, from what I've seen, it helps line up nicely where the carina is. So I drew a line and then I'll put in the airway there. So that's kind of relatively where that carina is or that splitting of those right and left main bronchi. So I always think that was kind of helpful because it's kind of hard until you start looking at a lot of them to find where the carina is because that's where you're measuring your ET tube depth. Um, so if you come over on the aortic arch and then come over the base, 
And then you can kind of see that's where we're finding um, hopefully that crano. Now this doesn't always work. This is just partially what I've seen helpful sometimes. Um, this is just uh, kind of something I'm talking about. This patient obviously has piercings. So just good things to be watching for and um, making note of um, when there's a lot, um, if your patient has piercings or necklaces, a lot of wires, there can be a lot going on to uh, distort the image itself. Um, this patient also, if you look at the left diaphragm, has a nice gastric bubble there. That one's a little bit more obvious, which is nice. Lung fields, again, is last. Um, so this image, uh, I think, really depicts how different... I'm going to show you the difference in the lung fields big time. Um, so removing this, as you can see, if you guys are looking at this, on the right side, which is the patient's left side, that's a nice lung that's inflated. Uh, you can count out that vasculature really nice. Then here on your left side or the patient's right, that is a collapsed lung completely, right? That's a super huge pneumothorax compressing that lung. That little whiteness you see there is most likely all that lung compressed and it's looking more white because all that tissue now is all compressed together. Um, what I like to do, um, pneumos aren't ever, you know, always going to be this obvious, right? Uh, so what I like to do is I kind of will look at the vasculature in the pulmonary, the pulmonary vasculature and I'll kind of like map it out like a tree with branches, which is kind of my image I just put up here. Uh, so I kind of map it out and I kind of follow them out. Once you start following those and you notice a break, they're not, they're not going any farther. You try and look for a line because sometimes that could be that the lung has been compressed. So now that vasculature can't move any farther and that could be a simple pneumothorax or something like that. Now on the outer edge border of the thoracic cavity, kind of right near the outer border area. You won't see it go out that far, um, but you should be able to march it out pretty close to that lateral border out there. Um, when you're not able to do that, then you're kind of looking for air in the lung um, or air in that cavity for a pneumothorax or something like that. Uh, so I'll kind of highlight what I'm talking about. So I, I like to march and follow those out. I follow those vascular branches all the way out. When you're not seeing that, like on this image on the patient's right side, that's when you know <clears throat> that there's a possibility there's uh, a pneumothorax in there that's compressing that lung so your vasculature will stop somewhere and then you should be able to look for a line. So on this next image, this is a little bit left, uh, less obvious of a pneumothorax, obviously. It's not the best image in the world. <clears throat> if you look at that patient, they look like they're rotated a little bit as well. But if we're looking in here... Um, Count out your vasculature on the patient's left side, and it's kind of hard to see, but you see this little line, and I'll kind of do this up and down, up and down, so you can see. But this little line would be a little pneumothorax um, that is happening there. And that is all I have for you guys. It's definitely a lot shorter one, so I appreciate it. And yeah, let me know if you have any questions. That's all we have for this episode of the podcast. We sure hope you enjoyed it. I want to invite you to head over to academy.flightgrid.com to check out the rest of our courses. And remember, education is good, but excellence through collaboration is much better. Stay safe and live well, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Flight Grid Podcast. Bye for now.